folk, and welcome to another riveting after party with Find the Path. Woo. Today, I'm joined, I am Jessica Peters, I am joined by all of the normal people. So, Jordan, Jenkins, Rachel Sandage, Heather Allen, Rick Sandage. Hello. And Patreon exclusive special guest, Ross Goggin. Hi. <laughs> This isn't a Patreon thing. Why am I here? Because you're hanging out with me because I wasn't in the last episode. I mean, this is true. <laughs> he was Heather's support friend. Yeah, yes. it was necessary. In this series of episodes. Also, Heather's back. Yeah, I'm alive, guys. Just on yours. Yeah, the Isn't character it? died, not the player. Yeah, we established we don't do method. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was going to say, that's like uh, taking yeah. the method too far. I've been studying a lot of spells, though, just in case. Rick, are you sure one of those buttons back there doesn't just, like, send us into a volcano or something? It's got the ejector seat on it. Oh, no. I mean, I'm not sure, but this board has a bunch of complicated buttons. On that note, uh, let's talk about these episodes, because they were a lot. That's why we're making all the jokes. I'm going to talk about the sad one first, because it came first. Uh, so, in episode 94, we fought against that a-hole callback... It's true. Who is a big betrayer, bad guy. It's true. Yes. Uh, good liar. All the above. Uh, Exceptional the, liar. The fight started out okay. We pitted the Medusa and like things were okay. But then things took a turn. We lost on Uris. Rick critical me, I think, at least twice. With those falchions. Oh. Oh, those falchions, <sighs> man. I was rolling poorly for the first half of that episode. Okay, That's I, why it felt like we were doing I lulled well. you into a false sense of security with my poor rolls. I, I have to ask... One level wizard, how many levels of fighter? At least, at least four, because I believe they have weapon specialization. Yeah. Oh, geez. So weapon specialization and being critical. Because I noticed they and only cast like, they cast like two spells, and then all the rest of it was melee, and I was like, crap, they're... I thought they were ma magi at first, and then it's like, nope, nope. Fighter four, sorcerer two. Sorcerer! sorcerer. You didn't find any spell books on them. That would have been so oh, helpful. Oh, yeah. Yep, sorry. I and think you were thinking wizard because I believe that the ones that you fought in Wati were wizards. Yeah, the ones in Wati were wizard rogues. Yeah, they're wizard yeah. rogues, and well, these are fighter it, sorcerers. It's also just like, where did you find four sorcerers who all happen to have the same spell on them? Those other guys were the knockoff guys because they were like shifted slightly instead of fighters rogues. Well, instead of yeah, they weren't they weren't uh, naturally gifted. Sorcerers, you know, sorcerers just gifted. born with it. I see. But uh, yeah, I I was I was as as they were hitting, I was like, oh crud! Yeah. Did they have improved critical or anything like that? Like, uh, no, they're not high enough level to, to have a critical. They have eight. Yeah. Oh, the Falchion yeah. has a scimitar's crit range. Yeah, 18 yeah. to 20. So, I mean, I had a 15% chance every time that I attacked, and there were six of them. Yeah. yeah. The stats so, were Just yeah. stats. law of averages would eventually get at least a couple crits. That episode is so weird because I thought we were going to be fine. Like, Hollis took a lightning bolt to the chest and took no damage. I know. But that then was pretty epic. It was just awful. Yeah. Well, that's it was the, kind of a roller coaster. Yeah. Where yeah. Towards the beginning, Jess, I remember you you were very stressed out about the fight at the very beginning. I was stressed forever, yes. And then as you guys got about like 10, 20 minutes into pretty much the moment the Medusa fell down the acid pit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You went, oh, okay, we'll be fine. Because bit, yeah. I thought the Medusa was the scary part. I mean, I knew Kabek was scary, but like. Well, it's one of those things where it's like Kabek, as long as we stay inside, probably not going to do too much for us. The Sphinx is too big to fit through the doorways. <laughs> Except he opens them. So it's like, okay, we've got some guys to deal with downstairs, and then we can like regroup and figure out what we're going to do with the Sphinx and, and Kabak, and then everything just kind of went to... <laughs> sideways. Yeah, a little went, it a little went sideways. very sideways. Yeah. 
Now, as something of a fan, the the last time you fought the Medusa, several of you got turned to stone, <laughs> correct? Yeah, that's, that's why okay. we were freaked out. We, mm. we literally were like, my greatest fear in that fight was I would be turned to stone because that's guaranteed, pretty much guaranteed death at that but point. we happened to be more than 30 feet away from her, mm. and I was like, pit, and then she happened to fail and fall in and, and die. She, and she couldn't make the saves to get out. Rick pretty, yeah. Much, yeah. Rick pretty much told she, us she it's could impossible. Not make the climb. There is an argument to be made that the pit spells are in essence a reflex save version of a hold person. Mm. Yeah. Because mm. for most for almost anything that does not naturally climb, it is nearly impossible the DCs to make the climb checks to get out of them. So yeah. she just got solely eaten alive by acid down at this bottom of the pit that was pretty much impossible for her to get out of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to, to It is evil and sounds death. awful, but uh, she didn't turn anybody to stone. Hey. That's true. So uh, I suppose let's get to the important part of that episode. Sad. Yeah, you, you lost your first death. the first character death in the, uh, the AP 94 episodes in. Yay. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I guess just this point in general. There's an argument to be made that you cannot have accomplishment without the chance of failure. And there's an interesting discussion that I saw before where they were talking about how asking GMs, like, how difficult do you think a fight should be? Like, how, how good of odds do you think that the monster should have to succeed? And the correct answer to that is the monster should honestly have an odds of about 200 to 1. And that is because the party will have to face about 200 encounters over the course of the entirety of an adventure path. 200 yep. different creatures that they're facing in fights and so on and so forth over the course of an adventure path. You know, mind you, some of those like five things in one encounter. But mm -hmm. so you're going to have to assume that they aren't going to win all the time, because if that is the case, then you're going to have a TPK or you're going to have a character death every other session. That's awful. Um, yeah. And so a lot of times it's a math game. And in this case, I think a fair argument could be made that Heather didn't roll poorly, didn't have any issues with that. It just came down to I happened to roll criticals and there was no way for her to get back inside of the building. Yeah. There was no way for help to get to her because the only person that could have maybe tried to do something would have been Sudi. Even then, you're facing these fighters. The odds of you being able to make the DC acrobatics DC of their CMD plus five not really that great. Yeah. If I failed that, I wouldn't have even moved past them. Yeah, so I don't I don't feel like there was a hard tactical mistake made so much as just the dice turned on you. Yeah. And that's kind of the problem with having like encounters where you have multiple enemies is prioritization and figuring out like who do you attack when. There's something to be said for focusing fire on one person versus spreading it out, but yeah. it's also one of those situations where we had a situation where there's only one target for all of them to hit. They're yeah. all going to hit on Uris. Well, and on Uris just happened to be wearing the artifact they yeah. wanted. Yeah. I and mean, so if Sudi had had the artifact, then one or two of them would have peeled off to hold back on Uris, and the rest of them would have gone to find Sudi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, that's the tactics mm -hmm. side of it. There's a really interesting element to this. This is a medium where, for 50% of the time, I am the author of this narrative. Uh, I am the narrator, going off of a story that's already written, but I'm also adjusting the story as I see I need to. It's that thing where any other author has control over when a character dies. If you're reading the first book of Game of Thrones, and by the way, if you haven't read this and or seen the show, congratulations. Skip ahead, yeah. skip, skip ahead 30 seconds. George R. R. Martin had the choice of when Ned Stark died and mm -hmm. killed him in that situation. I don't have that choice. It is just random 
dice luck. And so it's the same thing with uh, with Onuris here is that it just boils down to eventually the dice are going to turn on someone, to be perfectly honest. Small joke. I expect it to be Sudi. Fair. Usually it's Fair. I mean, Jordan's usually it's it, Jordan's dice it, that yeah, turned on him. Usually I'm I'm killed by my own dice. Also, out of everyone in the party, Sudi's come the closest to dying. I think on a number of occasions, including the, at the fight, lower levels. Yeah. Well, including the fight against Neptakufri, which is just yep. back in seventy or sixty nine. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. school did a number on us, and then on yeah. yours in the first couple episodes, one of those spider things. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, no, the camel spiders. Yeah. yeah. Those things are horrible. <laughs> yeah. Giant Camel <laughs> Ross is yeah. like, oh god! <laughs> no, 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 no! So why we would just, not be Yeah, I, I, it sucks. I mean, you can't, you can't play a character for two years now that we've been doing this and yeah. not it, have a connection to them. I've said repeatedly on Reddit and on Twitter, and I think, I don't know, maybe at the thing at PaizoCon that Onyris is probably one of my favorite characters that I've ever made. And saying I've been playing this game for twenty years, that's saying something. Yeah. So it's really hard to put him aside there's a lot of stuff in his backstory that i was really looking forward to the way it was going to unfold as the story progressed and things like that and it's just really hard yeah (laughs) it has not been easy and luckily i've had i said repeatedly that i had no uh backup character idea and that was freaking true i guess in a weird way it's lucky that this happened right around the holidays because justin jordan had a vacation and some other so i've had more than a weekend or two to process what I'm going to do next. Yeah. And uh, Rick's been really understanding about the fact that I, I'm having a hard time here. So he's helped me out and we've come up, I've come up with something that I think I will enjoy, but I hope everybody understands if it kind of takes me a while to get back into a new character. It'll take the audience a bit. I've come up with something that I think I'm going to enjoy playing and I hope you guys give the new character a chance and have a little uh, leniency with me getting into said new character. So. Please have another animal for Sugar to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> and Sugar will have a new man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, is alive, isn't he? Oh, yeah, I was told alive. on her at live. On, on her, her at live. alive, but he's like out there being on her at in the world now. He left her. Yeah. So She's rebound. On her, it has to go find himself for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And obviously, people have uh, have missed you for the last two episodes. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Like, and I haven't listened to any of the new episodes. I haven't really even asked what's been going on. So, it'll be a so. surprise. You audience members know more than Heather knows. Yeah, about and I don't even know if I'm going to go back to listen to those episodes. I honestly think it might just be too hard. I, I will say, and this might honestly be the hardest part of it, but the. 96. The eulogy at the end of '96 See, was so touching. Yeah. It's so good. I don't even I know if I cried. Could. Rachel cried a little. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So this has been really hard. Yeah. Like I've lost characters in other games before. This isn't the first time a character's died, but the podcast kind of brings it to a whole different element because yeah. it's not just us that are listening to these stories. We have all of our followers and fans. Yeah, and. Also, like I said, Onyris has been one of my favorite characters, and out of the, I don't even know how many characters I've had over the years. One million. <laughs> uh, and we had to hang out on the subreddit and just pretend nothing was wrong. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you, that's a new experience for us, <laughs> um, um, for sure. People were posting things like on Twitter and sending me messages and stuff about the episodes, and I have to be like, TJ did that super cute comic about on Hurt and uh, Sugar. Uh, sugar, yeah. Two day, 
days after on yours, the episode with on yours dying, we was recorded, recorded it. it yeah. yeah, and I was I texted Rick and I was like, oh my god. You know? Well, and, and also the gift that you got and everything else. Yeah. That, yeah. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's been real hard, guys. Well, it's been that, real hard. All of that being said, though, the subreddit has also been a, a great place for people reaching out and giving their thoughts and condolences. You know, all my friends, of course, here have been very supportive and understanding. We um, try. Friends of mine that don't play D&D, but I know about the podcast have been supportive as well. So, And then, of course, all of you guys on the subreddit and everything, thank you. The for... amazing path folk out there. Yes. Yes, the mm. folk. So, hopefully, you will like my new character. Rick thinks, what, probably episode 97? Hopefully, probably, depending on how stuff goes, I guess. I will be... It's quite possible. You will hear my voice again. Yeah. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to wait and find out. You'll have to tune in to find out. One hint about your new character. Yeah, they they still cast healing spells, so y'all aren't totally Dang screwed. That's not a real hint. Two hints about your. A hint that's not about your class. You know, I I don't think that this is a spoiler. If you're willing to give this away, what name are people going to have to get used to saying? Uh, her name is Masika. Oh, that's fun. Masika. So. Two spoilers for you people. <laughs> Lady. Name and a female character. Hey. Hey. Okay, okay. So, yeah, no one's gender bending and at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and not and an not S. And not an S. That was, that was mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did, did you actually try to get an S? No. no. That would have been hilarious. I snuck in another S when Sakura left. I would have brought it up, though. Yeah, we did get a sugar in. Yeah, but that's a sh at least instead and she's, of a uh, yeah, not a main character. Really. It's true. I don't have to say, sh I don't have to ask for Sugar's initiative, so <laughs> I'm good. All right. Oh, right. sugar, sugar. Well, I guess before we move on, does anyone else have any uh, thoughts that they want to share on losing characters, making new characters? Yeah, it sucks. It always it sucks. sucks. Like, that's really all you can say. And it never gets easier. No, either. it doesn't. It doesn't. Because you, you put a part of yourself in every character that you make, and so it's it's like a little bit of, like, yourself is dying a little. It sucks. Yeah. Because you're like, man, if I'd done this or done that, it would have changed something. And sometimes it, it doesn't. It just... No. Oh, it God. just happens. The whole, like, after that episode, everybody, mm -hmm. like, trying to think of a different way it could have gone yeah. down and being like, ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You run yeah. over all the scenarios. You, you hope that, like, you found a mistake and you can run back and be like, well, actually, this, and you save something. Yes. And it just sometimes yeah. it According just According to page 292 of the uh, core rulebook. <laughs> <laughs> 394. Yes, turn to page 394. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's, like, the appendices. Uh, it's actually the page, page about werewolves. werewolves. Oh. Spoiler alert, <laughs> Masika's a werewolf. Now Rick's going to go, like, literally go to that page. I, was going I guarantee to you it's full like spells. On Harry Potter yeah, spells. Come on, okay. 394 spells. What is 394? The opening spread of the game mastering chapter. <laughs> uh, is there a werewolf? Uh, no, but there's some ghouls shoving a dead uh, body down a well. That's on point. I mean, like, that would have been really funny if it was actually a werewolf on there. <laughs> All right. There's a werewolf in the coral book. All right, so I, who have well, not listened to the rest of the episodes, and I don't know, I feel weird listening to the. I'm going to step out while you talk about the rest of the episodes. Fine. So, yeah, get the out of here. Somebody, somebody <laughs> okay, so yeah, play that, like, vamping music in the background, I and will, she, like, plays off. I will be back Shame. for the question and answer. Shine. Shine. Non-believer. Hey, that's Sean. Hey, now, look. Now that Heather's gone. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. 
Now to say what we really think. Um, actually, I guess to finish that episode, hilariously and weirdly, Citra ends up with a mask on. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Citra doesn't like it. Like, it was one of those things that, honestly, like, we were sitting there and we kind of knew that this was going to be, like, a really potentially, like, life-threatening situation type thing. I was really glad that we were, like, the number one thing is to make sure that we get the mask. Oh, and yeah. Hollis was deaf, so I was very scared that we were not going to be able to Dimension Door out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was terrifying. Hey, That's what made the next the next episode so terrifying. Yeah, because there were several things that you tried to get off and you couldn't because of the deafness. I will just point out, just from a mechanical side point, and it, again, he kind of crops up a little bit more in that, the Haraka Sphinx and his deathening screech. I, I remember it. looking at that going, oh, that man. is a fun ability. And then Hollis was deaf, which sucked, but was super fun. Because yeah. I got to say, what? what? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to pretend, like, and I was like, I want to agree with what they're saying, and the only way I can think of to do that is to just say what they're saying as though I'm saying it for the first time. Yeah, that was because I can't hear that. that it, does wasn't really, it does really highlight the difficulty in playing a deaf character in this medium because you still are getting audible information about uh-huh. what you're seeing. See, you should have just taken your headphones off. <laughs> I can still hear. So, yeah, essentially, we retreated at the end of that episode yep. back to the camels. And 95, we kept fighting. Epic chase down by yeah, the, the Sphinx. Sphinx the yeah. Sphinx chased us with our camels. I got one haste off after burning the first one because it fizzled, but mm-hmm. that was helpful. And then Citra killed the Sphinx, which was cool. I did. I stabbed the crap out of it. Yeah, that's one of those weird fights where, like, the best thing I could do was... Drive. Basically nothing. Yeah, basically yeah. just use my move action to, like, get the camels moving because... It was weird because I was like, I'm going to ready an action to see if I can punch it. And it just never came in the front. I don't It's strange. The Sphinx for me in that fight was the gift that just kept on giving. <laughs> hey. Well, I don't like his hey, gifts. From the GM side or the From, from the side? GM side yeah. where it was, you know, he initially showed up. Even though, and to be perfectly honest, in the fight in episode 94, you guys don't fight a lot of large creatures. You haven't. You no. fought very few large-sized yeah, creatures. It's usually the the constructs. And so it was kind of it was a bit of the beautiful intimidation factor of that just being on the board, despite yeah. the fact that challenge rating wise, he wasn't even that high of a challenge rating. But he was scary. So he just kind of scared the party into acting in ways that weren't necessarily the most advantageous. I mean, for instance, if Sudi had st- stood toe to toe against that thing in the first room, Sudi could have probably brought it down in like two rounds. Yeah. AC wasn't that high. It didn't have a ton of hit points. Well, it had already been blasted uh, by uh, the Holy Smite that I yeah, yeah. yeah. it had. Yeah. It had already punched above its challenge rating as far as like punching above its weight is concerned by knocking by giving the wizard a 20% chance of spell failure, which of yeah. course means that Jessica, the one in five <laughs> chance became a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Talk about dice turning. And then the, the, in the following episode, I remember when you guys ran off and I was like, okay, well, the Sphinx is obviously going to, because it has a, it has a fast fly speed. And it's got a 60 foot fly speed. It's going to pursue the party. And then I looked at it, stat block and went, this guy is pounce. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, oh, oh this is gonna be so great. Yeah. <laughs> it was not just great. when you thought you were out, he pulls you back in. And then Citra stabbed him in the head. And I stabbed him in the face. Actually, there is one other thing. You stabbed him. You killed him. I did want to discuss a little bit of something, and this is actually this applies a bit to the last episode because I made some changes to that big encounter there. Oh, really? And there are a couple of reasons behind this. I'll tell you how it is, how I ran it, and then how it's written in the book. And I'll let you, I will let the four of you decide. Mostly Ross. Ross is the arbiter. Ross is the arbiter of, the arbiter of, of neutrality. neutrality. I mean, of whether or not this seemed fair. Fair enough. As written in the book, if the party has not otherwise confronted Kobik, 
he arrives when the party decides to leave Tefu. He and these six other dudes ride in on camels to attack the party out in the wide open, bringing a sphinx. Okay. That is it as written. But then the story changed a bit. Well, tactically, it's stupid anyway. (laughs) Not really, because there's nowhere you can go that gets you out of the range of his firebolts from the sky. Oh, that's true. That's true. So when I added in the Medusa, I looked at this and went, it's going to really make the challenge rating for this janky. And then I decided, you know, there's a lot of times where you guys have to fight a monster. And I basically have to tell you the environment is part of the challenge rating of fighting a shark. You're assumed to fight the shark in the water. It's factored into his challenge rating. Yeah. Where I decided to reverse that and say their challenge rating of fighting the party is affected by the environment. I gave you a building to take you out of Kobeck's direct line of sight to limit the mobility that Fly already gives him as well as the mobility of the Sphinx. In my mind, putting you inside of the building and giving you that tactical advantage balanced out against the Medusa before you happen to put the Medusa in a pit in the second round and really <laughs> throw that out of yeah. the Yeah, boy. But in my mind, I looked at that and went, that seems tactically fair. To me, that's I would prefer to fight Kabek with a building than have him literally like running behind us, lighting everything on fire with his weird yeah. Aurora Borealis thing. Yeah. So I think I personally, I think that was that was fine because the terrain also like the worst thing you could do is try to fight a wizard in the open, especially if they have the mobility of flies. So yeah. I think that's balancing. I mean, I don't know how much this has changed because uh, I, I listen somewhat haphazardly. So, um, but I recognize that from what I understand, the party generally doesn't have a lot in the way of ranged options. I know Hollis probably changes that equation some, but like Sudi, what what's your best range weapon? Uh, my best range weapon is in fact my dagger that has a ten foot range. That's not a great range yeah um, the biggest problem with Sudi is his lack of depth perception it, that's, it is a mechanical I, yeah. penalty for yeah, that yeah I actually take a penalty on ranged attacks no that's that's fair and, so and I basically haven't bothered but that's the thing is that you know and then like um, Citra what is what is your best range option I have a light crossbow okay it's a plus one it is indeed a plus one light hey, crossbow hey hey even better um, but still, neither one of you are are generally geared toward ranged combat yeah. um, for whatever reason. Um, well, you're usually in tombs. Yeah, yeah. no, that <laughs> mainly because we're usually underground. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that makes sense. <laughs> but I think that that's a thing that Rick, as a GM, probably at least I don't know if you did it consciously or not, kept in mind as well when designing the encounter because having cover, having the ability to force them to on some level at least come toward you yeah. helps not eliminate but helps mitigate that disadvantage yeah Um, well and having read up on the message boards you're fighting six guys with the outflank teamwork feat if you are fighting them yeah they all have it so they're all getting a plus four for the flank so if you're fighting them in the open yeah and if you're fighting in the open and they can get a six way flank going oh my god they will ginsu their way through a PC every round yeah I'm happy to have a building. Yeah. yeah. I'll take the building. I will say that fight felt like a chess match. Yeah. Um, especially playing a wizard. I don't usually play wizards. I played casters a lot, usually divine though. But it was like every round I was like, okay, here's the spell I want to cast next. And then a piece would move and this, this spell would change. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, if that finger of death had worked. Oh, yeah. If yeah. that blindness deafness had worked hilariously. Mm. Previously, I cast blindness deafness on him. Yeah. 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 So there are like a handful of spells that if they had worked might have been okay. Yeah, I would have turned the tide. Uh, but, so not, but not, I was I was focusing on Kabak trying to keep his attention away from Onuris. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the, you managed to, like on Eurus, managed to turn the tide pretty quick with his uh, hit against the, the Sphinx yeah, and blinding the Sphinx for a round, took the Sphinx out of the combat for yeah. a round. Things could have gone south in a completely different way yeah. if the Sphinx were, were still in play for that fight. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so it sounds like you changed the encounter a lot in terms of like the, the overall... Mm. how it played out do we ever have a chance to actually meet Kabek or like did you kind of introduce him earlier as a it specifically states that Kabek is there at the party with Wamanofra like that's the point where you you met Kabek that's the point where you're intended to meet Kabek mm-hmm. now if the party is not interested in working alongside of him then he'll approach the situation in a, in a vastly different way that may be a little bit more less direct and more nefarious Ah, okay. Um, including a potential assassination attempt. Oh, fine. Oh, okay. Like the Sphinx Jerk. comes Did he system. actually know on Eurus? That's a good question. Kabek has been in the city long enough to know a vast number of people. On mm. um, has the advantage, well, advantage, disadvantage, of being a very distinct individual. Oh, because mm. of the whole gold. skin, yeah. And the it, eye. He's an Asimar. He's got the yeah. eye and all the rest he's of that unique. stuff. He's unique, yeah. The party drew a lot of attention to themselves with their actions in Wati. And yep. of course, a description of this gold-skinned man with an eye tattoo and this five-and-a-half-foot-tall black cat folk monk. And, you know, you're, all been like you're Citra. a distinctive party. Citra pretty much being the only one that wasn't. And then they're like, oh, and also this unearthly, beautiful swordswoman who just ended up disappearing. Yeah. yeah. Random elf attack. Yeah, they're like, it's like, no, this, this can't be the party. This, this party has an elf. That's weird. <laughs> All right. So then we get back because we kill the Sphinx and we decide, yeah. I guess we should go back. And we find on Yuris's body, which I thought was going to have a trap under it. I did too. It, it definitely was given the vibes. I prepared explosive runes today. That's what I was. I was like, there's going to be a rune under there. It's going to yep. be real, a real FU. But there wasn't. It was just, just a, a missing journal. journal where he wrote everything. He needed yep. a cipher. <sighs> No more journaling. <laughs> well, I think it's, there's one thing to journal, but you don't you don't write the sensitive information in there unless it's coded. You gotta code it. Hollis is like, I better code it from now on. Well, Hollis would already know how to do that because your spellbook is encoded. Oh, that's yeah. true. Onuris doesn't have a, a high linguistics, I don't believe. Yeah, because you have to use linguistics to write in a code. In a cipher. I mean, I would just uh, Hollis just writes in Elvish and hopes that that's weird enough. I mean, <laughs> around here, actually, yeah. would it be yeah. weird enough. It could tort anything written. except for a s- second level spell. Doesn't on your, didn't yeah. Onuris know um, <laughs> True. Uh, Celestial? Yeah, but he wouldn't have written in that. He wrote in Ancient Osiriani. I know, and, but I mean, if you just cast comprehend languages, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I that's a fair point. Yeah. That that real the cipher is the better way to do it because you you write it in a language, but you're writing it in like Ooh. you know something different. You cast that blank page spell, the one that makes your page look blank. Yeah, isn't that just a single page though? I you don't can't know. do a whole book with that. I don't know. I never have to. Yeah, use but this. you could blank page the important ones. Yeah, you just like censor <laughs> you just, it. You just redact it like it's a government document. Yeah, thing. Exactly. I mean, so in Onuris's defense, who would have done this? No one. Um, no. Yeah. Hindsight. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Well, moreover than that, it's like I'm sure Anuris didn't expect to die and oh, have sure. his no. journal taken. Oh, no, yeah. And this, this exact same argument could be made for just like Kabek showed up and it's like, Wizard, why don't you always like, I know we're in a desert, but why don't you always prepare protection from energy to give us like energy resistance against cold, maybe? Or uh, I make that joke only somewhat because I think you gave the party cold resistance I at did. some point during that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm but, an abjurer. I'm an abjurer, so I do get a lot of resist spells. Also, 
I did not know how much I loved that school until I took a lightning bolt and had no damage. Abjuration's a good school, mate. Yeah. Great school. Yeah. Um, it's no divination, but it's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. That was real great. Oh, yeah, divination's like game-breaking in certain circumstances. Uh, easily, yeah. Sweet. At higher levels, definitely. Yeah. That initiative bonus. Okay, so yeah, we find that uh, Citra puts the mask on, which is interesting. Yeah, Citra doesn't like it. Mostly because Hollis is like, put the mask on. Yeah, she's... Citra is not happy about it, and I think her grumpy nature is showing that right now. Yeah. Yeah. She is not her chipper self. Yes. But you have all the wisdom. She's very she wise. doesn't care, though. Like, it you're doesn't so matter to her. That's why you're so sad. She's very sad. And then we're like, okay, I guess we'll go sleep back in the town. And of course, there's guards that the Hatya has waiting for us. Yeah. Because, of course, we did break into the secret library. And well, it didn't look like she'd been there in a while. Yeah, but she was watching us. <laughs> okay, the, here's my question. Would we have ever had a chance of noting that she was watching us? Because I don't think we ever really did, like, a sense motive or anything. Would we have to, like, no. actively look for her? No, I constantly mentioned the guards that you passed at all times throughout the entirety. From from the yeah. moment that you arrived in Tefu, I have made a concentrated effort to mention the two guards that you pass every time you go in and out of the old city. I specifically mentioned about how you had to ride past Tefu's fortress, the house of their guards, to leave the northern portion of the city. Oh. I did not. I never gave you a sense motive check. But I, I felt like I gave. Watched. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just assumed we that wouldn't we were have thought there's anything weird about that. That's the other thing. Like, just mm-hmm. in general, I don't think adventurers yeah. would look at the guards and go, "Yeah, I should be wary of the guard." Now there was a way for you to avoid her noticing. Stealth, invisibility. Not, not, not. Sorry, allow me to rephrase that. There is a way for you to avoid her knowing that you've entered into the vault of hidden wisdom. Don't disable the alarm. Teleport. Uh, use the most mundane means possible. Oh, yeah. Hollis you could have asked that. questions all the rest of that. Instead, you went to the library that the church owns and then shown a light spell through on Yuris's cupped hands, uh, <laughs> trying to mimic the position of the sunbeam onto a giant thing while there are two curators who work for yep. the church further Citra down the hall. pointed this out, I believe. You yeah, yes. yes. yeah, you did. Yeah. I listened you to this to. episode. Yeah. You have to be more forceful because Hollis is 100% going to solve her problems with magic. Yep. She has to. That's her Which is funny because I actually expected that to be Hollis's solution. I expected you to use the ears of the city to try to find someone that would know information pertaining mm. towards the Tower of Raw's glory and then try to figure it out from there. Yeah, Mind we could have gone and talked to that dwarf instead. I did yeah. think about that because I know dwarvish and I have a homie that's a dwarf. We don't know that in the podcast yet. Spoiler, yeah. I guess. Not really. Well, Citra's going to be a little bit more forceful from here on out because apparently when she gets ignored, it happens. Well, Hollis has a 22 <laughs> intelligence, but a 10 wisdom. <laughs> so Hollis does the thing that makes the most sense to her with zero like common sense going yeah. on. Really, the, the essence is, is that Hollis is a hammer. Hollis is a magical hammer and can solve all of the problems in the world like magical nails. Yeah. There's a spell for that. There's a a way I think of it in my head is that like intelligence is sort of the mental version of strength. So Ah. you have your intelligence score, you have your strength score. Wisdom is more like constitution. 
So it's more of like a resistant force, and then charisma is just more like subtle, like dexterity, dexterity type yeah. things. Oh, nice! I like. I that. mean, it, it, it's yeah. it doesn't really mean anything, but it's just the way I think of it. It feels no, no. right. I remember. I can't. I don't know who to attribute this to, so I apologize if I'm stealing these words from someone else. But I remember hearing before that intelligence is knowing that you can do something. Wisdom is knowing whether, whether you should, should do something. Yeah. Charisma is convincing someone else to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That sounds right. <laughs> so that's why I, ho- I try to play. Hollis, not unlike Sagira in that way, because Sagira was also a hammer, but with strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just kind Sagira of. Sagira answered and all of her problems Citra with violence. Yeah. <laughs> is dexterous and has slightly more wisdom. Got a lot of wisdom now. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot more well, and wisdom. And Citra, Citra's a rogue character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's never going to, she's never going to take the front door if she can climb in through a window kind of thing. <laughs> well, moreover, Citra, I mean, if I'm wrong, correct me, but Citra also seems the type that would be like, okay, if I were actually tracking these people, this is what I would look out for, which is why we shouldn't do it because it's probably what everyone else is looking out for. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Hollis is like, if I were magically going to trap this place, I would put <laughs> a cone of cold under this door. So I'm going to prepare. It'll go off, but I'm fine. Yeah, the, the weirdest part about that, though, is it's personal property. It's not part of the church. That's and so that weird. totally that, threw us because when she was like, she's like, no, you definitely broke the law. We're like, no, we didn't. We've got the, we've got mom and offer's yeah, permission. You basically broke into yeah. her house. But we actually did break into stuff, which yeah. hurts Sudi and his lawful parts. Leads mm-hmm. into 96. Yep. Uh, where we talked to the Hacha, and uh, <laughs> I was wrong. She was right. We should have come and talked to her like I wanted to in the first place. But then I got all carried away with this, like, the church is bad thing, which is crazy because I'm very religious. Are we going to deal with her again? Maybe we are. Uh, probably not. Well, she we seemed pretty done with us. Once we give her a back. Well, yeah. I like her. I just want to say short powerful lady. I like her. Did I ever show you guys the artwork for her? No. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. y'all haven't seen it? No. I mean, I wasn't here for any of it, so no. I didn't. She <laughs> looks fierce. Sagira would have loved her. I, I also have to appreciate the fact that she's lawful. She's got to be lawful neutral because her delivery, ah! I was, I, I think I literally made the comment in the episode. I'm like, is she actually priest of Avatar? Because she was like, no, this was by the law. I filled out the paperwork. Oh, no. dang. Look at her. Wow. She is fierce. I love her. I love, okay. I also love I, the fact that she's five foot tall and her headdress adds an extra like foot and a half <laughs> to her. Well, that's I, why she wasn't wearing it while in her office. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that thing would get hard to like move yeah. around. Oh, yeah, she's basically like the the lady with the fruit on her head, like balancing thing. Good Looks heavy. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Just being as somebody who is Karina? six fives in certain rooms, it gets hard to walk around with without like banging your yeah, head or yeah. something. So oh, yeah. as someone who's five four, I don't have that problem. I'm Let's in the middle. Head. I just wanted to say something. Until we give you a headdress <laughs> that adds an extra foot and a half of height. Yes, that yeah. would still keep me under the six foot mark. Wouldn't it? No. Uh, it would keep you people. barely under the seven foot mark. Oh, seven yeah. foot mark. That's yeah. not how yeah. math works. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so you had a you had a fun discussion. And with Mom her. and Offer showed up, and there was like a weird fight, and then Citra chided them, and that was great. Yeah, Citra is was very done. It was a very long day. She lost one of her best friends, and she was done. She yeah. was like, I, mean, I need both of you powerful ladies to sit your butt down. I mean, unlike <laughs> Hollis has known Onuris for about two weeks. Yeah, he seemed nice. Sudi has known Onuris for about six, seven. Yep. Uh, more now. Wasn't it like three months? No. No. It just no. felt like there, there was a month of downtime between the first two books took place over the course of about two and a half weeks. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then, we had and a then month there was downtime. a month downtime. So Sudi knew Onuris for about seven weeks. And Citroen and Onuris had known each other. They weren't necessarily, they were 
work acquaintances before. We still knew each other. But they knew each other. I think you're doing a good job role-playing the fact that Citra was taking it harder than everyone else. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And also, Hollis is 165 and has probably seen some people die. And Sudi's lost people. Like... Everyone. Well, when you work in the church, you work around people who are dying and grieving a lot. And then he worked for, let's be honest, a drug operation. And people probably died from that, too. So he's not a stranger to death, per se. So Yeah. The only death Citrus had to deal with is her brother. And she's Mm. still taking that hard. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Although that was a crazy situation. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, we are we all kind of knew that the Hacho was part of the Order of the Blue Feather. It confirmed it, though. Uh, and then she confirmed uh, that. Also confirmed the whole, she was using the missing funds for Shadow War, and that's yeah. where all the missing people were going. Call. That was a good call. I don't remember which of us that actually. That was me. Was that you? I well, also, you, I, you called I, it in that episode, but I, I called it. I agreed with that also. I was, I was a little surprised that my name drop didn't do much. It did. She's like, I'm going to protect your family, Nahara. Well, yeah, but I don't know if it was because I was in Ahamra or the fact that I'm going out to save the world. I think she was appreciative <laughs> of your attitude. Yep. And she yes. last named Exactly. Oh, and uh, the Order of the Blue Feather is split, which makes sense because all of Nethys is split that way. Like, all the churches are... Half of them want to help. And half of them yeah, want to just burn to destroy you. <laughs> yep. And so that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, oh, and we don't friend. Oh, I can't tell you. Cool. Cool. We just won't tell you things. We're yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a we've got a mission, and we've also been kicked out of the city. And Falto's not dead, and your parents yes. were there, and yep. he told a funny lie. Yeah, Falto's hilarious. I there, love him more. There's one other piece of useful information that you gained during that, which was to kind of it was kind of to put something a little bit not necessarily to put something to bed per se, but uh, for her to illustrate, you know, her knowledge and mastery over the the magical arts and her knowledge pertaining towards these artifacts and what you're in essence dealing with that the mask itself possesses no ego yeah that was important which uh metagaming wise i recognize it as not an intelligent item yeah and it's also it's actually it's funny enough it is both a in-game and out-of-game terminology yep because uh ego is the power of a intelligent magical item to take control over an individual Yeah. yeah yeah and so it is as she put it it can influence your opinion but only by showing you things. Yep. It cannot magically influence your actions. Yeah. Yep. And she mentioned that the possessor of the heart is probably not savable or isn't savable, but Citra made that check to be like, mm, you think. Yeah, yeah but we'll Citra is about saving everybody. I mean, Hollis is in to save her friend if that's possible. Yeah. Because the heart is nothing but ego. Yeah. We just got to call him out that thing and like, watch out, grab her right now. <laughs> Rip her heart out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad reference. Don't that say seems yeah. like the non lethal solution. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't oh, a Sunni really? solution, that was just a solution. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, most of your problems can be charged or can be solved by ripping hearts out. But <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, Segura would agree. I don't think Sudi will ever get quivering palm now that he's. Uh, oh no, I'm never getting. I, I, that's one of those things I would never use anyway. And it's the five finger death it is punch. Five finger death. You know punch. who we should have five finger death punched? Kabek. Oh, you're gonna leave. Haha, you're it's dead like anyway. That's that's kind of one of the things that quivering palm would be useful for. Is like, oh, you can't even get away from me. You know it's a decent band? Five Finger, finger Death Punch. Death Punch. <laughs> yeah. I love that band. I actually do really That's like That's a band? Uh, yes, yeah. they're oh. awesome. You should listen <laughs> to them. Uh, what um, is it? Uh, the Wrong Side of Heaven is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. All right. So, yeah. So, we found out that Falto and Azaz are fine, charmed, but fine. Yeah. Mm. Um, and 
Citrus parents are fine. They're going to give her a stern talking to for her, you know, bad behavior. Yeah, I'm probably, like, grounded for two weeks. <laughs> You're grounded. How old is your character? <laughs> She's 19. I mean, technically <laughs> old enough that if you still lived in the parents' house, you know. She didn't really, though. But she yeah. didn't. No, Citra lives in hotel rooms with her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> like a real adult. Like a real adult. Uh and, oh, wait, uh, are you dating, like, a band member or something? I'm dating Falto. No, I, I, I He's kind of like a band member. Falto is kind of like a band member. He, got yeah, a he has a lead singer swagger. level of uh, panache. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Rocking uh, Falto, the secret swashbuckler. Oh, my God. I would love to see to see a fan art piece that's done, like, the uh, old Jabberjaw and all the rest of those, like, the, the five-man band things, where it was always, like, the band members, and then they'd have, like, an anthropomorphic animal or something, except for it's just with Sudi, so it's, like, Falto on lead guitar, Hollis on drums, Citra on rhythm. <laughs> Am I the one totally lost on this reference? Oh. Kind of, but kind no of not. I have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, sorry. About. Well, I'm, I'm, like, just seeing the Pussycats and things oh. like that. Like the old oh, yeah. Hanna-Barrera okay. cartoons, which were always... What was... Jabberjaw was the one that was set in the future where there was a shark that walked around with oh, them. Oh, yeah. And they traveled like a, from planet like, to planet doing, doing like band. doing a detective thing Yeah, it's basically yeah. Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo, except that they're yeah. also a band. Yeah. Okay. Josie and Pussycats is a better reference for me. Okay. Okay. I, I okay yeah, I didn't get the either, reference, really. but now I know I, what you're talking oh, about. I, like I mean, Jabberjaw. I watched the movie. That's all you need to know. It's a bunch of girls in a band. All my Jabberjaw okay. fans out there, let me know about this <laughs> <Stop>. Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you have to be like 30 plus to get that reference. I'm going to remind people that I did not watch Hanna-Barbera growing up. That's fair. That was, that, to be fair, that's an old reference, like really old. But so. it's good. It was Alan. I saw it. Jabberjaw cable. was like on when we were kids. Let's anyway. bring this down. We followed that with a, with a eulogy. Yeah, that was a great it was eulogy. Sad. It was sad. Um, yeah. Okay, now, now, I do have a question because I actually read something that uh, Jess had found uh, that was like a prayer of the dead. From Egypt. And from e- from actually from Egypt. Did you? <laughs> and I was like, Hollis wouldn't say anything like this. I don't know this guy. And so I gave it to Sudi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I figured the one to Horus would be most befitting. And, and I think Citra would have wanted that connection to his god. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate it. I I think it was a small thing that Jessica said, you know, because Rachel said this this really touching prayer and Jordan said this really nice prayer of the dead and I think it was just uh Hollis said a couple of nice things and then it was like, you know, and then she like takes off her hat. Yeah. And I was like, that's just kind of a nice, like, takes off her hat, puts it over that's her a, chest. That's a southern something. thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Say something solemn. And I did some Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Journeys in with lovers meeting. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I was like, you had a wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and Falto poured one out for his homie. Yeah. I, I, I also appreciate it as a follower of Caden because that's how yeah. you do. Yep. Yeah. It's just, nice. <laughs> yep. What? Yeah. Pouring one out for your homie? No, yeah. absolutely. You took a swig and then poured one out for him. And- it was good. And then uh, on her it and Sugar had a moment and he flew off to talk to her, whoever that is. I My yep. my vote is on Tedasura, but I'm not sure. I want to think he flew sense. literally into the afterlife to, to, you know, talk to whoever. Basura or whatever Onyris' wife's name was. God, that's a good name. Uh, it, well, no, I want to say Bosmer, but that's not it. Fun trivia question because it was mentioned in one episode. What is Onyris' wife's name? Starts with name? B. That's all I know about it. No, Basura was the Akinti. Yeah, that was a uh, cool name, though. I do like it. Who knows? Fun. You anyway, do. Heather would know. I do. If only she were Rick here. Knows all the information. She's in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I can still hear her on the wind. <laughs> Somebody play that like transition music again and bring her in. I was going to say, isn't it time? Yep. It is time. Yes. So, yeah, somebody retrieve the Heather. Avengers! Assemble! We've no. always been the yeah. Avengers. What is uh, on yours' wife's uh, name? Hulk. 
Well, Bahiti. Bahiti. Uh, we have to avenge Onuris. Obviously. We were yeah. mandated to do so. Yep. We're not there yet. Uh, email one. Doodly do. Transition. Transition. <laughs> I would do the Batman. Yes. This is Frank from Madison, Wisconsin, a.k.a. Rosenport. Rosenport. Nice. Rosenport. Rosenport's nice. nice. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, everyone. Uh, I've been religiously binging Find the Path at Work the last couple of months. Good for um, you. Finally catching up this week. I hope you're doing work, too. And I've got to say, well, you know, and I've got to say your dedication for Pathfinder rules and how much unabashed fun you're clearly having really brings you guys above the rest. Thanks. Except Aww. that episode 94 wasn't super fun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We still adhered very closely to the rules. Though. There were rules. Precisely to them. the rules. I had two GMing questions regarding running published content. Okay. Number one. What are your thoughts on somewhat gimmicky rules present in certain APs like library research, chase uh, chase mechanics, occult rituals, etc.? Do you like them as written? Do you think they can negatively impact the pacing of the game? I find I'm a little torn on them, and they can be a little more difficult to alter as a GM to run how I'd like them to be. I adjust those rules pretty constantly. It's very rare for me to actually run them specifically as written. So, for instance, I don't think rules as written that Citra and Sudi were allowed to make acrobatics check to aid another on the research rules. Um, I think you would have had to roll the skill check instead of making acrobatics or climb checks to go and retreat books and all the rest of that. That being said, that's not really that fun. No, yep. and, it would have kind of uh, taken us out of those I've, episodes. Yeah, and I feel like the rituals, which the ritual mechanics came out later, I feel like the ritual mechanics adhere closer to it. The ritual mechanics let the entire party kind of take place in them, much like the research mechanics are supposed to be. I like the one in like Strange Ions has an interesting ritual that yeah. you do in one of the books that makes everybody a part of it, but doesn't make it to where everybody has to be good at a certain thing to do it. Yeah. And I think that's the, the big thing about it. Absolutely. And uh, on the subject of the chase mechanics, it's kind of a similar thing. It's funny enough, um, the chase mechanics as they are don't really take take into play a lot of magical solutions. Right? Yeah. Where it's just like fly yeah. just kind of gets past it. And as written, Hollis could blast off her spells left, right, and center and would have had no effect on the race whatsoever. Same. Yep. The mechanic that I ended up using, which was allowing her to give a bonus or penalty based on the level of the spell, is actually taken from the mass combat rules. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just kind of took that rule out and then dovetailed it into this other to go, this makes this more interesting and it lets... Hollis do something more fun. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what I'm kind of shooting for there. That again, we it's funny enough you mentioned just earlier about our strict adherence to the rules and I adhere as closely to the rules as I can while still being willing to make changes to them if it's necessary to tell a better story in my opinion. But isn't the rule the GM's word is final? That, that is, is rule the 1. Word, the first rule. Yep, rule it's 1. Sure the golden so rule. we're not breaking any rules that's yeah technically it's true it's more i'm just augmenting the rules with additional rules which is my favorite thing to do <laughs> yeah i just that's made such it a rules lawyer response he's too. a dragon who cords rules I just, <laughs> oh my god he yeah. is rolls around in the rule books every night please please <laughs> fans i need fan art of rick as a dragon but he just has scrolls <laughs> underneath him of rules There's a certain, i need this too as his wife awesome. so i can hang it up at work and be like that's mine <laughs> Don't touch the rules, though. <laughs> there is a certain there is a certain sensation I get, like in the in in the deepest part of my chest, which I can only assume is the feeling that a father has when they stare at their new. Oh, oh my god! When I surround Rick. myself with open books and just you know what I have that feeling. 
when I get a new kitten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. Kittens, but yes. Yeah, I know you stole the cat that was supposed to be mine, <laughs> and now she's a little demon who only loves you. I've but stolen you many Dexter. a cat. I have Dexter, Kenway, and Ezio, so it's fine. <laughs> but not that one cat. <laughs> that one cat. I was this supposed to have right. a full set. She is the devil. She is. But we will post a picture anyway. of the devil for our audience to see, and they can uh, agree with me that she is the devil. Just get one of her hissing. That'll be easy. <laughs> anyway, next not. question. I'm moving on because we're not talking about the devil here. <laughs> This is the most appropriate question and the most well-timed. What do you think about NPC villains that are written as escaping from the PCs during their main confrontation? NPCs written to be recurring villains can be pretty fun, but in any given AP, I feel like there are four or five NPCs with running away as their strategy when faced with overwhelming opposition. I feel like this can get in the way of the story and just adds to the bookkeeping required to keep the story going. Sometimes it's really, really freaking annoying. It's so annoying because Kabat got away. Yeah, but technically we ran away. Uh, here's the interesting he thing. He teleported away. Yeah, no, but we ran away first. Yeah, ran away we first. were coming back. Yeah, but... <laughs> He should have known. Waiting for us. <laughs> the thing I don't like about it, and this gets into the, the rules mechanic, is uh, you don't get XP every single time you beat the snot out of people. Like, yeah, rules is written. Win. You know? Uh, yeah. And if they run away and you didn't defeat them, you technically don't get XP. Because they're yeah. going to come back. So, um, yeah. It, it's also, it interestingly depends on the tactics as written, because some of it is big bad guy will run away if all of his followers are defeated. So if you decide, oh, I don't care about his followers, I'm going to attack him directly, he won't run away necessarily, right? There's also ones that's like, okay, if, they, if their hit points get below 15, well, they may not have the chance to run away because you hit them with a, a really powerful spell or something. So just because they can run away in their tactics doesn't necessarily mean they do end up getting to run away. Yeah. Um, now, if you're, right, if you're running it where, oh, no, I have to have them, run them escape because of such and such thing in the future, then I think that that's a problem in the writing. Because the best thing about Pathfinder is you are guaranteed that there is always the possibility. Best and worst. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the best and worst part of it. My firm opinion on it is writing a character that's intentionally a reoccurring character is very difficult to do. I walk in with the assumption that every time someone steps up against the party that the party is going to murder them. Basically. Because odds are pretty good. Unless you're a cute gay couple. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I really came around on those guys. Fair, sure, fair. <laughs> that being said, I think that there is a certain uh, there's a certain element where a reoccurring villain can make for a very interesting story. You shouldn't go into a fight assuming that the PCs are going to fail to kill someone. But if an opportunity presents itself to make a reoccurring villain, that's great. I'm gonna. Okay, this might be kind of spoilery, but like. I don't know how Spoiler much of this for what? Rise of the Rune Lords. Okay. I don't know how much of this is if you changed. But we talked to Karzog. I refuse to call him Karzug. I'm sorry, Paizo. We talked to Karzog three or four times through different means of him using spells. Yeah. Like he possessed that golem and talked to us through the golem. So we had encounters with him and we knew who he was, yeah. but it was never him in the flesh until the final encounter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. spoiler alert, Carrion Crown did the same thing with like fake versions of the guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh yeah, the yeah. simulacrum. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, casters can casters can have a much easier time at being recurring characters because they typically have greater mobility. Yeah, I'm always a big fan of letting the players get to know a villain through more direct means. 
there are wonderful spells that let you do it for, for things like the dream spell is great for just having mm. them contact the player, even mock the party or any of the rest of that. Although I don't usually go for villains that are very of a, a mocking sort of way. <laughs> yeah. At that point, it's just like, I just hate this guy. Yeah, we don't um, like that. I, I always, especially because then they get to their final monologue in person. And you're like, no, I've already I've already had too much of this. Yeah. Heather raises a very valid point where having a character that can address the party without having to flee makes for a more interesting reoccurring character, not necessarily multiple fights against the same villain. The final thing that I'll say on it is just the fact that unlike Kabek, a lot of times they'll point out that, you know, this creature will run right away. And sometimes sometimes it's a great thing. You know, sometimes it's the party is getting beaten into the ground and you just happen to do enough damage. I think I pointed it out at one point. This thing fled away or whatever it was. And then when we're talking about it afterwards, I was like, oh, by the way, it's because you dropped him below 25 hit points. Uh, I think it was the, the hippo fight. The hippo oh, just took yeah, off because hippo. you did enough damage. That hippo was still messing you up and could have stuck around for another round or two. But it was just like, you know what? I just showed up here for an easy meal. I'm not getting it. I'm out. Yeah, it's sensical at that point. Now that hippo, that hippo may be a reoccurring villain, but you're not sure. <laughs> Definitely will be um, in the desert later. In the desert, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. yeah, he got some class levels in Druid. He's coming awakened and all that. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. So yeah, no, I, I think though that that is a good point. There's a certain verisimilitude that you get when certain characters run away when it makes sense. Yeah. If you're fighting against particularly fanatical foes, then yeah, sure, they're going to fight to the death. They're not. They're going to be like, I will take every chance I can to kill you. Like the morale stat block for every cultist that the party has fought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and if I lose, dying is better than you know running away in shame and defeat. Yep. Death or glory. But there are going to be some villains that are going to be more tactical or more self-interested or just more you know what i'm doing this for my own purposes and frankly death is not part of my plan i'm out and as unsatisfying as that could be sometimes it also just makes sense because not literally every single person you fight is going to be some fanatic for some cause and yeah. I mean, you can always use other things besides magic to have the villain confront them and then them not be part of the encounter the they PC, have the high uh, yeah, like the PCs bust into a party and the nobles up on the balcony and give some grand speech and leaves and then the guards attack. So the MP, the PC that they're trying to kill was never even involved in the combat. So yeah. he's there and he gets his point across and he gives them the information or the hook you want them to have. But since he's not in the combat, it's not technically fleeing. So very small side tangent on this. <laughs> After we finished Carrying Crown, I had a thought mm. that that would have been almost the best adventure path. Because, again, I just won't really get into spoilers, but the people that you're pursuing in that have a good idea that they're being pursued. And you're almost always one step behind. I think it would have been a great adventure path to have a non-magical solution where they literally leave messages for you to find from the main villain just taunting you uh, or better yet just trying to like to sway you to you know it's like you're not thinking about this clearly maybe you should see it from another perspective Mm -hmm. maybe this is for the greater good Uh kind of thing that that would be a fun direction to go with uh, with with that group yeah yeah Oh, yeah, no, that group would have absolutely ignored yeah. all of those messages. The Parasmin Inquisitor would totally have been like, I see what you're saying, group that likes the undead. Yeah. But to be, and to be honest, you're already getting some of that mummy's mask. Oh, yeah, you're we seeing, got a lot of that. You're seeing a lot of Hakatep without with ever me. confronting Hakatep. Yeah. And we have a lot of people that are talking for him. Like, he's great. Join me. That kind of stuff. He's the true Pharaoh. Yeah. He'll lead us into greatness. He'll protect us. 
Ah, goodness. You what can trade your freedom for safety. Oh, that's my least favorite, but favorite thing. Citra wants to melt down this. Mask. I always want. I always choose chaos over safety. <laughs> <laughs> chaos. Sometimes in real life too. Uh huh. That's my personality type. Chaos. Chaotic. So what else do we got? Uh, all right. He says, I look forward to listening to you guys. Gotta say, I love time and scraps. Seems fascinating so far. Much love, Frank. Oh, thank yeah, you. Frank. That sounds like another vote for Ross. Yay. Wait, what? <laughs> fan favorite, Frank approved. Uh, Frank approved. Oh, okay. Thank you, Frank. Woo! <laughs> get you a stamp. I have a fan. <laughs> all right. Next is from Craig in Toronto, Canada. Hey, Craig. It's uh, the plane of air. Hello. The plane of air. <laughs> right. Uh, plane of air. That's right. I don't know towns there. You can make one up. <laughs> Um, uh, I think there's some sort of I'll cumulus. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Yes, the the newly created cumulus, the Jin City in the Plain of Air. Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. Anyway, <laughs> Cumulopolis. Cumulopolis. Yes, yes, yes. Oh man, that's they're mally. also a little Greek. I don't know. Uh, hi, find the path people. Hi. Hello. Actually, FTP people. Hi, Craig. I just want to drop you a line and let you know that your podcast makes me really happy. Oh, thank you. I love how much fun you have, and thank you for sharing. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, my group's never really been into adventure paths. Bummer. But your tackling of Mummy's Mask has shown me how cool they are. Even if nobody bites on the idea, some of the things you've played through have given me insight in, that I can use to deepen the experience for everyone, awesome. both as a player and GM. Awesome, oh, thank yeah. Thank you. Uh, question. Is this the first time someone has played a disabled character in your games? For Jordan and or everyone who has had that experience, have you ever struggled with the emotional journey your character goes through due to an injury that isn't easily resolved by magic? And how do you try to bring that to how you play the character? I haven't ever had it in a, a Pathfinder game, but Rick and I used to play a lot of Werewolf the Apocalypse and getting injured and almost killed and getting scars and disabilities is pretty much built into that game. Yeah. Um, so I've had a bunch of characters that have had debilitating injuries in that game. Um, one of my characters lost an eye in that game. We had somebody who lost an arm. It's always interesting because you kind of have to not really change how you play the character, but you kind of have to think about how that would affect them. Hmm. And if it's something that they're going to struggle with, or is it something that's easier for them to, you know, how are you going to role play them overcoming that challenge and you know yeah. then we just tease Sudi relentlessly because we're a bunch of horrible people yeah I, <laughs> I, I think that the difference for Sudi is his approach to it is you know he did some training and his tactics favor working around his disability he doesn't really confront it head-on to the fact where he's like you know I'm gonna train in archery and learn how to shoot with a bow and arrow even with one eye like that's just kind of not how he's really approached the idea yeah so for Sudi specifically I guess he hasn't really confronted the disability in, in those terms um, in those terms where it completely kind of changes the the mindset I guess but as far as like uh, dismemberments or, or permanent blindness or muteness or anything like that I haven't really played any characters like that outside of the podcast I always wanted to build a blind character me too but yeah. it's insanely hard to make it work in the rules in first edition without just being useless to your party for like 10 levels like yeah that's it's why it's so hard <laughs> it's actually why it's my backup character well, if you do an oracle, you can do, like, the clouded yeah. vision oracle. Yeah. I like, the oracle is an interesting way to approach a pseudo-disability. Yeah. Like, a lot of those curses veer into that. At that, it's mm -hmm. it's not technically, you're legally blind. Yeah, you're it's, not yeah. full blind. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, you get a workaround through being an oracle. But I yeah. always thought yeah, it'd be cool. It's still, 
yeah, it's still it's I mean, still difficult. It's still a disability, in, but it is. In the second edition book, they actually flat out say, if you want to play a blind character, play a blind character. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. the blindness that's imposed upon from the spells is because of the spell effect. You can play a blind character and not have to have A person that has lived with that will adjust to it over yeah. time. Yeah. Because um, it's, you've always been blind, so you're used to it. You don't have any penalties. But when a blind blindness spell gets cast on somebody who normally has vision, they have all these penalties because it's not something they've learned to adapt mm-hmm. to their entire life. I wish on the podcast it would be easier to play a deaf character because yeah. I think that's the only one that I could, I, I don't want to say connect with, but I have worked with deaf people for so long and I actually did have a personal experience where I went to a birthday party and I was the only hearing person there. So yeah. it was, the roles were flipped on me. And uh, that is one heck of an eye-opening experience. And it's kind of one that I feel like everyone needs an experience like that at some point in their life to understand that kind of thing. I will say, mechanically, and not at all role-playing related, I got blinded once in, I think, Strange Aeons, and the next feat I took was blind fighting. Because I was like, (laughs) never doing that again. You're adjusting and building. The other thing I'll throw out is a, a... Two anecdotal things is uh, one, one of the, I wanted to say it was the uh, iconic spiritualist was originally planned to be in a wheelchair. The, the yeah, elderly, she's a little old lady. Yeah, the elderly lady. You know, she already kind of represents an older cast of people because the the iconics are supposed to be representative of the player base. But in addition to that, she was supposed to represent people with a disability. And unfortunately, they just said that it's it's difficult to figure out a way that they could even mechanically make that work for something like society play. Um, yeah, because the world of Pathfinder isn't exactly ADA acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second thing or is I was just acceptable. The second thing is I'll just point out if you're ever looking for a wonderful example of representation, though. Uh, for an extraordinarily strong character, I would go to Dragon Prince. Ah, oh, I love her. Um, I, the the main character's aunt is deaf, and the representation that they provide, especially the fact that she will sign, and it's real sometimes and it's real signing, and sometimes there's not a character there to translate. So there's no subtitles, and so it's just signing. There's no subtitles, and I can't imagine how that would feel for someone who lives in that world Mm -hmm. so that is amazing and i wish more fantasy settings and such would offer that opportunity moving us along because we got lots of emails thanks again for being awesome thank Thank you you for being awesome next email from garrick in rural upstate south carolina hey garrick um well backcountry south carolina yeah kind of Foresty plain. Hook Mountain. Oh, God. No. Turtleback Ferry. We put somebody in Turtleback Ferry already. Yeah, somebody else was already in Turtleback Ferry. That creepy gnome village. Wolf Seer, if. If Garrick wants the chance of being a werewolf. That's fun. I mean, that's fun. Yep. Mm. Wolf, wolf Seer up in Verisha. Check Garrick, it out. It's pretty fun. Garrick There's... could be a wolf, a werewolf name. Yeah. Howdy, y'all. Aww. Howdy. Aww. You must be from the South. South Carolina. South yeah. Carolina. <laughs> uh, I've been following y'all since episode one, and I am simply in love with the incredible characterization and your proficiency with the oh, rules. Thank you. Thank you. I go to the governor's school and arts boarding school up here and have recently started my running my first in-person campaign with some fellow creative writers. Congrats. Congrats. Uh, the addiction nice. begins. Nice. 
I've only run online or played in online campaigns for about five years now, so I'm still figuring out controlling an in-person party. I've okay. learned it's easier to draw them in with snacks. Mm. Yes, yes, it is true. Yes. Trolley gummy worms are I'll, some of the best. Charcuterie board. Just to throw this out there, and then we'll continue on with that, Starburst fit perfectly in a five-foot square. Yes, the best oh, enemies. Yeah. So if you so need enemies, and yeah. then you can eat them. Assuming yes. none of your players have braces. Assuming, yes, yes. That's you, like you, you can work or, around yeah. that. It's fine. You also have to have a set rule that nobody goes for their favorite flavors. Yeah, also Hershey's <laughs> Kisses work really well for that, mm-hmm. yeah. as well as uh, if you get those like those little bags full of the tiny chocolates, two of those make a, uh, they're like about one inch wide, two inches long, two make a wonderful large-sized creature. Nice. <laughs> anyway. So... I'm running an AP I've played and run before, Reign of Winter. I love that. It is good. But I thought it was unsuitable for teaching brand new players. They've never played any tabletop. Mm. We taught a new player in that. Yeah, we did. Um, I can see where the issues could be. I can definitely see all the issues are. It was difficult. So I melded in a sort of prolonged tutorial so I could get a feel for party dynamic and teach them how to play. That's awesome. Cool. That's pretty okay. Good. Yeah. That is an easy AP to do that in. That is a the first book of that is also easy to extend for a longer tutorial. So here's my question: mm-hmm. How have you taught new players in the past, and how have you modified the introductions to APs? Thank you all so much. Sincerely, Gary. Okay. If you listen to the very first episode of Tyrant's Grasp, pretty much Tyrant's Grasp as written would start at episode two. Yep. The tail end of episode one. That was mostly just to give the audience a better chance to get to know the characters. Expand role-playing opportunities, usually in the beginning. Paizo has a a habit of assuming that most people that are going to start playing the games are going to immediately jump into, want to jump into combat. So you'll have something like, I think, Rise of the Rune Lords. Uh, There may be some minor spoilers here for the very opening seconds Mm -hmm. of an adventure path. Rise of the Rune Lords starts with a speech and then immediately there's a goblin attack. But every time I've ever run it, I've expanded to have the characters run around the fair first oh, yeah, we to do get a feel that. for oh, yeah. it as opposed to that. Uh, some of them, I think, do need to start suddenly. Strange Aeons. Strange, Strange Aeons, Aeons starts yeah. in media res. Serpent Skull starts in media res. The opening for Wrath of the Righteous is phenomenal and starts in media res. And it's probably the only thing that I would suggest you start in media res and then follow by a flashback. Hmm which would be a really interesting way to do that. Weird. To be perfectly honest, the adventure paths become more complicated with the more monsters that you have. Running Mummy's Mask and Tyrant's Grasp at the same time, I'm very well aware of this. Since Mummy's Mask, I never have to worry about anything past Best Theory 3. I would say that the earlier an adventure path is, the more straightforward it is going to be. As far as you don't need as many books you yourself are concerned. Sometimes the biggest problem that you can have with new players is telling them, we'll go on the PFS 30 and figure out what you want to play. I don't think it's a bad idea to restrict them to the core rulebook, as long as they can make that character. Yeah, we've touched on that before, that for new players, honestly, some restrictions make things easier. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. Yeah, less is more. You run into the paradox of choice. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's too much, too overloading, too confusing. The the other thing for, for Adventure Paths is on the earlier Adventure Paths, a lot of them were written kind of in a way that they can be broken up, yeah. meaning that the book one of Rise of the Rune Lords is pretty self-contained. So if somebody does start playing it, they aren't liking it for any reason, they're looking for an exit, they, they're willing to commit to the book, then you get a good way out at the end of the first book to you know for them to kind of gracefully exit and not disrupt the story for everybody else. That 
is less easy to do in some of the later books or later adventure paths. They start weaving the story a lot sooner. So it's not as easy to to transition somebody out at the end of the first book. Also, do like, do whatever you want because you're a free person. And you can do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for asking for our opinion. That was fun. That was it. And so I guess that's it for us as well. We're going to go... Um, Play some more Pathfinder or something. Uh, hopefully, you'll hear my voice again sometime in the next episode. And Ross is part of our Patreon game, Tyrant's Grass. So if Hi. you want to hear more from Ross, that's where he is. Yeah, I don't know why you would, but if you do... <laughs> because of this. Oh, okay. Ross is pretty cool, guys. Trust Frank. For everyone out there <laughs> that wants to hear more of Ross's sultry tones on the microphone... <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever described me as having For a scant $5 a month, you, you can, can listen to Ross after six episodes of listening to the rest of us. You can also listen to us talk a lot about pants. I feel slightly dirty. <laughs> yes, you can, you can listen to us scrounge around and be excited anytime we found anything. Pants were pants. great. This is There's true. The, the pants thing we said and earlier was not a we joke. all have really weird accents and uh, yeah. sing. Song. I did a Zelda I found a thing, th- a thing song for a normal sword. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. We just found yeah. a sword and we're like, thank That's God. True. <laughs> so, so anyway. Uh, yeah, Ross, uh, Ross is on our, our Patreon game. So thank you, Ross, for Woo. joining us uh, yeah. this week yeah. to discuss, you know, character loss and all the rest of that good yes, stuff. He uh, was my buddy. My condolences again, Heather. was playing and I was downstairs. <laughs> It's true. Sad. And on that note... Pretending she doesn't exist. Shh. Heather, who is also Harry Potter sometimes, <laughs> wishes you all well. Bye-bye, Pathfolk. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye Pathfolk. Why are you still here? Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.